Do you remember uh, the Where is Waldo books? I know this was pretty big when I was a kid, but you know, you'd go to your library and you'd go and you'd check this out you know, all the time. You know, it was a book that didn't have words in it, uh, but it was this picture book where you'd search for this guy named Waldo. Uh, that Waldo wore a red and white striped shirt. He had a red and white striped hat, glasses, and you searched for him throughout the pages and sometimes it was really hard to find him. You, know, you could be looking in his direction and you wouldn't see him because of all the background uh, that, that was sort of uh, camouflaging him. You know, it was tough to find Waldo. Well, I'm certain that we sometimes <clears throat> do the same thing with Jesus Christ in Scripture, in certain parts of the Bible. You know, in our adult uh, Bible class on Wednesdays and Sundays, we're studying the life of Christ. And this is just sort of a pitch uh, right here this morning. If you're not involved in uh, Bible class, if you're not staying for Bible class, this is an invitation to come and uh, dig deeper into the life of Christ. So we're going through this in chronological order through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, going through the life of Christ from his birth uh, until his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Again, this is going to take us over a year to get through. We're only in lesson 39, and so I invite you to come and stay for that as well. But this is, it's a lot of meat here uh, because this almost half of the New Testament we are studying for the life of Christ. You know, we often hear that the Bible is broken down this way. We say the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Jesus is here. And then Acts through Revelation, you know, we say that Jesus is coming back. But you remember what we say about the Old Testament? We say Jesus is coming. You know, because there are hints throughout the Old Testament Jesus Christ is all over the Old Testament. What if someone asked you, you know, what comes to mind when you think about the Old Testament? Maybe you think Noah and the ark. Maybe you think of Moses or, or Abraham or Samson or King David. But do you think about Jesus? You know, think of some of the basic Bible facts of the Bible. You know, we, we've got 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, written over a, a span of 1,600 years by almost 40 different writers, but yet there's this complete unity uh, with these books. It's amazing. And that the, the entire Bible, all scripture is inspired by God. You know, God breathed out these words to men, inspired men who wrote these things down. But th- add this fact, add this fact to that list. Jesus Christ is what it's all about. The entire Bible. Well, yeah, yeah I know, Michael. I know the New Testament is about Jesus Christ. Well, no. The Old Testament as well. Jesus is the hero of the Old Testament too. He is the thread that ties all things together. In Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49, we see one of the post-resurrection accounts of Jesus. Luke 24 again, he's conversing with his disciples after his resurrection. And he reminds them that all the things that he taught them while he was with them those three and a half years from the scriptures... That was about him. Notice in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, and I have this up on the board. It says, now Jesus said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You know, he said something earlier or similar earlier in verse 27 of the same chapter when he's on the road to Emmaus. Uh, with those two men uh, who were looking for the Christ. Uh, It says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. You know, what Jesus is saying in essence here is, 
The Old Testament is about me. I'm in the Old Testament. Now, now something should be said before we move forward about, you know, the, the, the Bible, the quote unquote Bible that Jesus would use. Of course, he didn't carry around a Bible like you and I do. Uh, the New Testament had not been written yet. And more than likely, when, when Jesus refers to the scriptures, he's talking not of a book, but of a scroll. And so if he wanted to read the, the, the words of Isaiah, he would grab the scroll of Isaiah. But when we think of the Old Testament, we think of, you know, our modern day English Old Testaments. And we sometimes we learn them in this way. We, we have the five books, the first five books, the law of Moses. Then we have the 12 books of history. Then we have the five books of poetry, you know, Psalms and Proverbs and, and Job and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then we have the five major prophets. And then we have the 12 minor prophets. And that's really an easy way to remember. You have 512, 5512. And you add those up and you get 39. And again, it's sort of an easy way to remember the Old Testament and how it's broken down. But that's not how Jesus and those of that day would have broken down, again, the, the scriptures that we refer to as the Old Testament. You know, Jesus, uh, he categorizes them exactly how they would have thought of them as the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms or the sacred writings. You know, they, they classified them a little bit differently. Right? Instead of having a first and second Samuel like we do in our Bibles, they would have just had the scroll of Samuel. Instead of having first and second Chronicles, they would have just had it Chronicles. Instead of having 12 minor prophets, you know, having a book for Jonah and a book for uh, Obadiah and Amos and, and such, they would have just had that one scroll that would have, would have had all 12 of those minor prophets on there. But we also read uh, throughout uh, the scriptures of, you know, them referring to the Old Testament in other ways. Uh, sometimes they would just simply refer to them as the scriptures. You know, Jesus would ask, do you not, have you not read the scriptures? And what he's referring to, of course, again, is the Old Testament. Or, or simply, you know, the law and the prophets, sometimes he would refer them to them. You remember in John chapter 1, when, when Philip uh, is all excited and he runs to Nathaniel and says, Listen, we found him. We found the one who, who Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets wrote about, the, the Jesus of Nazareth. We, we found the Christ. Or even in Acts chapter 28, verse 23, when Paul is under house arrest, in Rome, he's under house arrest and, and he's still preaching the gospel to people who are able to come to him. And it says that he is he was teaching the people about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Well, why would Paul be teaching the people about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets if he isn't in the Old Testament? If Paul and Philip and these uh, individuals found Jesus in the Old Testament, shouldn't we be able to see him as well? Where is Jesus in the Old Testament? You know, again, like that, that book, Where's Waldo? Can we spot Jesus in the Old Testament? And the simple answer is yes. He's everywhere. We've just got to pay attention. But a more specific answer, and if you grabbed one of my outlines this morning, on the back page of the outline, I provided uh, sort of a glimpse into, you know, where we can see Jesus in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament as well. But we want to notice a few of these things this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to uh, talk about some of these scriptures where we see Jesus in the Old Testament. And hopefully that gives us a better understanding, a better uh, love for the Old Testament, a better regard for who uh, Jesus is. And so... 
Uh, let's begin as we uh, look at this first part that he refers to here in Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus in the law of Moses. Again, the law of Moses, those first five books in the Old Testament, sometimes we refer to them as the Pentateuch. Uh, they were written by Moses through heavenly inspiration. When I went away to, to preaching school, one of the first uh, papers that I had to write was on something called the Documentary Hypothesis. And I had no idea what the documentary hypothesis was. But, but this was a 10-page paper that we had to write. Uh, we had to do a bunch of research into this. And basically what it comes down to is who wrote the Pentateuch? Because there uh, are many scholars out there who just don't believe that uh, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, that he wrote these five books. You know, Moses was a prophet. Okay? He, he was a prophet. And we tend to limit that word prophet by somebody who is foretelling, somebody who is telling something of the future. But that's not necessarily what a prophet is. A prophet is a foreteller. He, he's communicating a message to the people at that time, a relevant inform, information that God has for them. And so he's foretelling that information. But also a prophet also can tell of events that happened in the past. Right? Moses wrote the book of Genesis uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he even lived on the earth. Well, how did he know those things? But it's because he was inspired by God to do that. In John chapter 5... We get to this account at the beginning of John chapter 5 where Jesus uh, heals a man who has been ill for 38 years. You know, he's this man who's lying by a pool and he can't get up in time to get into that pool to, to be healed. And so Jesus, he, he heals him there. He heals him and he tells the man to pick up his pallet and walk. And when the Jews see this, they want to know about this because this is the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to pick up your pallet and be walking around on the Sabbath day. And so they discuss with the man, well, who did this to you? Who gave you the, or gave you the authority to do this? And he didn't know at first, but later on he meets Jesus again in the temple. And then he refer, tells the Jews that it was this man, Jesus. And so Jesus and the Jews, they get in this discussion. And that's all of what chapter 5 is basically about. And in this discussion, Jesus called... God, his father, uh, basically they're, they're telling us in verses 17 and 18 of John chapter five that the, by doing so, that he made himself equal with God. And of course, this upset the Jews uh, so much that they wanted to kill him on the spot. But Jesus explained to them that they had all the witnesses that they needed to know that that what he said was true, that he was the son of God. He said, look at John the Baptist and look at my works and look what God has said and also Look into the scriptures because they testify about me. Notice what uh, Jesus says here in John chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 43. He says, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Right? Jesus is confirming that Moses, uh, in the Old Testament, wrote about Jesus. He wrote about him. So where in the Old Testament, where in the law of Moses can we go to find Jesus? Well, the first one I want you to notice, and I'll have these listed up here on this overhead, is in Genesis chapter 3, all the way back into Genesis chapter 3. And sometimes uh, we refer to this as the first 
messianic prophecy, the first time that we get a glimpse of Jesus. Of course, we understand Genesis chapter 3, where, where, where the serpent tempts Eve, and Eve, of course, sins, brings sin into the world uh, by eating the forbidden uh, fruit of that tree. And God begins to dole out this punishment. First, he begins with Satan, the serpent, and then, and then Eve, and then Adam. But notice what he says to the serpent. Notice what he says to Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. You know, focus in on that last part. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what that is, is that is a preview, a messianic preview of the pre-incarnated Christ. Uh, There's a difference between being bruised on the head and being bruised on the heel. You know, again, he says the seed of woman, Christ, will bruise, will crush the serpent's head. Uh, that's, a, that's a fatal destruction. Right? That's something fatal, whereas Satan will only bruise his heel. You know, that's, that's only referencing uh, something that's non-fatal. And of course, that's referencing Jesus dying on the cross, uh, going through that agony. But of course, we know he defeated death by being resurrected. And so here's the first hint of Jesus in the law of Moses here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 49. This is what uh, Nathaniel just read for us a moment ago. In Genesis chapter 49, we, we see uh, Jacob in, in his last breast. Uh, Jacob, the, the great patriarch uh, who had the 12 sons, uh, he, he's about to die. He's about to, uh, to leave the, the earth. And in his last moments, he is giving uh, basically his blessings. And, and some of these sound more like cursings to his sons. Uh, basically telling them uh, about, you know, uh, prophecies about them and their future generations. And we're only going to specifically notice uh, in verses 8 through 10 of the fourth son of, uh, of Jacob, and that is the son named Judah. You know, Judah, if you remember in the book of Genesis, made some uh, bad decisions. He made some poor choices in life. You know, he was one of the brothers that suggested selling uh, Joseph into slavery uh, but really, when we get to that account in, in Genesis, he is the one who redeems himself. He is the brother that steps up and he offers his life as surety uh, so that uh, Benjamin uh, would not be uh, given uh, or at least uh, taken to, uh, to Joseph. And so, um, and that was a big thing because Benjamin was the last remaining child of Rachel. And that was a big deal for, for Jacob. And so Judah stepped up and offered himself a surety for his life. And we see that more than Reuben, who was the firstborn, or more than Joseph, who you know, contributed so much for Israel, it was Judah, when you read through Genesis 49, that is given these great blessings. Let's read those verses again. Genesis 49, starting in verse 8. It says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. 
But we notice first there that Judah is described as a lion. You know, just like Jesus in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 is described as a lion from the tribe of Judah. But also we notice that, uh, that that scepter will not depart Judah. That staff will not depart Judah uh, for, until Shiloh comes. Obviously, that scepter, you know, that, that represents authority. That represents kingship. You know, David and, and his, his sons, his heirs, they're all from the tribe of Judah. You know, Jesus is going to come from the tribe of Judah. And he says that they will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. This is the only instance in the Bible where Shiloh isn't in reference to a city, but as a noun. Shiloh, this is Jesus. Shiloh means peaceful, and it also means one sent. One sent peacefully. Does that not describe Jesus? He is the Prince of Peace. He was sent by God. You know, we remember the, the, the history of the tribes of Israel, how when they went from a united kingdom to a divided kingdom, uh, 10 tribes we call the northern tribes or, or the tribes of Israel uh, stayed to the north. And then we had those two tribes in the south, Benjamin and Judah. And the Bible often re- referenced them as Judah. Well, later on in history, when we get to the New Testament, uh, uh, the people are now referred to as Jews. Right? Jews is just simply short for Judah. Shiloh points to Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings. Here again is another instance where we read about him in the, in the law of Moses. And then one more, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, where Moses is telling the people that God will raise up a prophet like me from among you. And those are words that the Jewish people always had close to their heart. And their mind, because they were always looking for the prophet. They were always looking for him to to show up. And that's what we saw in the New Testament. Some of the people asked John the Baptist, are you the prophet? And he had to tell them no. In John chapter 6, verse 14, after feeding the 5,000 people, the people said about Jesus, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, we see another glimpse of Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, what about in the prophets? We've noticed Jesus in the first five books in the law of Moses. But what about Jesus in the prophets? You know, I've mentioned this over and over again about how Isaiah chapter 53 is just one of the most beautiful chapters in the Old Testament. Just full of messianic previews of the Messiah. You know, this is the chapter called the suffering servant. And, you know, there's a reason why Isaiah is nicknamed the Messianic prophet. There's a reason why a lot of times we'll read Isaiah chapter 53 when we're preparing our minds for the Lord's Supper. There's a reason why the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah 53. And he wanted to know, you know, who is the prophet speaking of? Is it himself or someone else? There's a reason why Matthew and Luke and John and Paul and Peter, they all quote in the New Testament from this chapter. Again, this was written some 700 years before Jesus would live on this earth, and it fits him to a T. And of course, we don't have time to go through every single verse in Isaiah chapter 53, but we'll notice a few. In verse 2, it talks about how uh, this suffering servant will have no stately form or majesty, that we should look upon him, uh, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. You know, and we know that in, in the book of Philippians, Paul describes Jesus as coming to the earth, emptying himself, taking the form of a lowly bond servant and humbling himself. Again, this lowly form. Uh, our sins fell upon him. Isaiah 53, verse 6. 
Again, the New Testament affirms that Jesus was our propitiation. He covered our sins for us. Like a lamb led to the slaughter in verse 7, we know that Jesus is often referred to as the sacrificial lamb, that he would be cut off, executed, crucified. Uh, I love this verse 9. It says, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Well, what is that referring to? Well, we recall that when Jesus died and was buried, he was buried in the tomb that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. Jesus was, was with a rich man in death, so to say, as he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Well, again, how does Isaiah know 700 years in the past that that's going to happen? But because Jesus is in the Old Testament, Jesus is in the prophets. If you're still in the book of Isaiah, uh, flip back a couple of chapters into Isaiah chapter 9. Let's look at one more in the book of Isaiah. Again, this messianic uh, prophet. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Notice the titles describing Christ's role in redemption. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Do you notice all of those descriptions of Jesus? Again, some 700 years before he'll come into this world, how he is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. You know, that's referring to his deity, his eternalness, eternal father. Uh, we know that Jesus is the creator of all things and the Prince of Peace, right? That characterizes the reign of the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. We often think about peace as the absence of trouble, but really peace, biblical peace, is the presence of God. And again, we could look at throughout these scriptures about peace in the New Testament, that through Jesus, we have peace with one another, that we have peace with self, and that we have peace with God. And so again, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, we see a glimpse of, of Jesus Christ. And then one more I want to look at is in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And this is one of my favorite Old Testament passages uh, because it's just amazing uh, to think about uh, how this all came together. That, that the, this prophet, again, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus comes to the earth, he prophesies this. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. You know, in our Life of Christ class, you know, we've noticed that there's really these three major cities other than Jerusalem that are about where Jesus lives. You know, and there's Bethlehem where Jesus is born. Uh, There's Nazareth where Jesus is raised. And there's Capernaum where Jesus uh, sort of his home base during his ministry. But, but we notice here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that the prophet says that from Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, the one, the, the Savior will, will come from. And not only does he mention Bethlehem, we know that the city of David where, where Jesus would be born, but he mentions Bethlehem, Epaphrathah. Uh, there were two Bethlehems at that time, one in the north and one in the south. And he specifically pinpoints to us which Bethlehem Jesus was born in. And that's Bethlehem Epaphrathah down there in the south. And again, just an amazing, amazing prophecy we see in the prophets. Another glimpse of Jesus. And we could mention more and more. But those are going to suffice for us this morning. And then one more. 
point that Jesus says, Jesus in the Psalms, or, or sometimes this is referred to as the sacred writings. And for this, I want to turn us, our attention to Psalm chapter 22. Uh, again, in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 22, again, the Psalms can be very, very messianic. Again, about the Messiah, about the Christ. You know, David wrote uh, many Psalms, almost half of them. But did he know what he was writing about? You know, we looked at this passage last Sunday evening in First Peter chapter 1. They talked about how, you know, the prophets, they longed to know the things that they were writing about. They made careful searches and inquiries, and even the angels wanted to know about some of these things that were being written about. But in Psalm chapter 22, and uh, sometimes referred to as the Psalm of the Cross, there's almost nine different references in the New Testament to this psalm alone. And we're not going to take the time again to read all of these. Hopefully you'll have a chance to do that later today. But just notice some of these. Starting in Psalm verse 20, excuse me, chapter 22, starting in verse 15, notice what David says. He says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count at my bones. Uh, They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Within those four verses, did, did you hear Jesus? Did you see in your mind the accounts in the New Testament of Jesus on the cross? How he was parched and thirsty? Uh, There in verse 15, my tongue cleaves to my jaw. In verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. Well, what is David talking about? You know, he's describing crucifixion perfectly. But David has no idea what crucifixion is. That practice won't be uh, brought into the world for another 600 years. It won't be a commonplace for another 600 years. It's often said that the Persians invented it, but it was the Romans who perfected it. Right? David has no idea what crucifixion even is. And he, he's, here he is prophesying about being pierced by my hands and my feet. Uh, verse 17, again, they look, they stare at me. You know, the, the Bible tells us that as Jesus is upon the cross, the people were staring at him. They were looking at him. And then verse 18, another, another astounding verse. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Well, is that not exactly what happened to Jesus as he was on the cross? His clothes were divided up by lots. And again, when we look in the Psalms, we can see Jesus. And friends, that is just the tip of the iceberg. That's just the tip of the iceberg because there are so many more Old Testament scriptures pointing to Jesus. We, we could have read the book of Ruth and mentioned how Jesus is that kinsman redeemer or, or the seed of David in 1 Samuel or, or the redeemer in the book of Job or how he's that fourth man in the fire in Daniel chapter 3. You know, Romans chapter 15 and 4 says, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And I hope this morning that we can come to appreciate the Old Testament just a little more. And I hope that we can be more diligent in recognizing the Savior in the Old Testament. Again, he is the theme, not only of the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. And I want to leave you with this illustration, this, this image uh, for you to maybe think about uh, as we go throughout this day. Uh, just think about this. Each book 
in the Bible is represented by 66 pearls, beautiful pearls. And you have 66 of them, and they're just held there by a single string, a single thread. And that thread is Jesus Christ. This morning, as we offer the invitation, you know, the reason why we're here this morning is because of Jesus Christ. Again, we can see him throughout the entire scriptures. And this morning, if you have not put Christ on in baptism, we would love the opportunity to speak to you about that this morning. Or if you're ready to make that decision to be in Christ, to be a part of his church, of what it's all about. Again, Jesus is in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. This is what it's all about. And this morning, to become a child of God, we know that to be in Christ, the Bible says that we must be baptized into Christ. And if you're ready to do that this morning, we would love the opportunity to help you, to assist you in that decision. Or this morning, if you need the prayers of this congregation, if you need the encouragement of this congregation, if there's any need uh, you want to make known, if you want to place membership with us to say, I want to work here with this congregation and be affiliated with this congregation, any of these things. This is no better time to do that than now, this morning. And please uh, let us know as together we stand and sing.